What's up, guys? Hey, we started a, a series last week, um, and we're starting to keep score around here. Um, what's this series called? What is it called? Someone raise your hand. Tell me. Where is it? Go back. Scoreboard. Now, in the scoreboard, I, I talked about three different metrics that we're going to keep score here. Three different metrics that tell us that we are doing what we are called to do as a church. What is the first one? What is the very first one? Salvations. What's number two? Someone raise your hand. It's confident right here. Go ahead. Baptisms. And the last one is what? Discipleship. Now, let's say that together. First one is what? No, 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 no. We can get, we can get more hype than that. First one is what? Number two is what? Number three is what? All right. Welcome to the Lord's Army. Um, and uh, tonight we're talking about salvation. Um, and it's a really awesome honor to be able to talk about salvation because last week um, we had seven people say yes to Jesus, which is the first day of salvation. How cool is that? Um, I got to talk to you about one of my greatest friends in life um, who is not Jesus. Um, his name is Steve. Uh, Steve was one of the first people who uh, met me on my journey about salvation. Steve is 5'3", um, full-grown human man, 5'3". Um, that he, he reminds me that's the average height of a woman in the United States. So uh, he is average if he was a woman, but he is in fact not. He is a male. Um, and uh, he, he's a little guy. Um, he's red-haired, um, and he is crazy. Uh, Steve and I, when I met him, I realized that I wasn't dealing with like a normal human. He pursued adventure more than any other person I ever met. And he was the first person to tell me that you can do something, an activity that might seem really hard um, and might really suck, but if you can tell the story later, that activity was worth it. Okay, this is, this is the way in which we went on things called adventure runs where we would just pull up to a trailhead at one o'clock in the morning without flashlights and see if we could run down that trail as fast as we could. We fell like a bunch of times, like rolled off hills, things that you could do when you're 16 years old. If I did that now, like I would be, there would be like a missing person report for me. Um, but we also sprayed each other in the face with pepper spray at one point. Like that was crazy. We did, we did those things. In fact, that happened in a Wendy's parking lot in front of my future in-laws, Britt's parents. Like, they were just going through and they just saw these two yahoos. One, one tall big guy, one little tiny guy, and we were just spraying chests in the face and then laughing about it. Um, yeah, this is why I had so, many, so much trouble, trouble with Britt's family. Um, Steve loved adventure, and he loved doing things just for the story. Sometimes Steve's car would break down. Now, Steve had the coolest of cars um, in the early 2000s, and it was what was called a uh, Reliant K, right? Now, this is, this is a fake wood-paneled uh, station wagon, um, and it constantly broke down. And so Steve's car would end up in the shop, and he was responsible for taking all of his siblings to school, so his parents had to give them their loaner vehicle. They didn't have an extra vehicle, but what they did have was a motorhome. Um, and so sometimes Steve would show up to school with a 26-foot-long motorhome um, and drop off his, his siblings um, and then go into school and park that thing in the parking lot. Well, Steve didn't realize that's not the end of the story because now Steve had his own bedroom at the school, um, in which he would invite us during 
school time, um, when we should have been in school, to go in there and play poker. Um, so we would be in there, we'd play poker, sometimes we'd get busted, sometimes we wouldn't. Um, sometimes Steve decided he didn't want to like go to school, so he'd just go in there and, and sleep. Um, and one day I see the Steve Mobile pull up to school, and I think, okay, this is gonna be awesome, so I skip my fourth period class, don't do these things. Um, and uh, I go and I knock on the door, and Steve answers, and he's really serious, and he's like, hey, I need you to come back later, I'm having a really awesome conversation. And in there, there was another, another high school guy, and they were like sitting around a Bible. And I was like, what is this? And later on, I went and talked to him. I go, what were you doing, Steve? And, you know, because Steve was always doing something crazy. I was like, he's like, I was, I was sharing my faith uh, with Jacob, and his name was Jacob. Um, and I'm like, what? Tell me, tell me why you do that. And, uh, and we, he, started t he started coming in. He started telling me like, you know, I believe when God says, go make disciples, that we should go make disciples. And uh, I befriended Jacob knowing that I would share the gospel with him. Like, I intentionally sought him out as a friend because I knew he didn't know Jesus, and I thought that if I could be Jesus to him, that I could, um, in turn, share my faith with him. And so he did that during school hours, um, and, and, and I was like, Steve, that's crazy. Did you, did you just do this with Jacob? He goes, no, actually, I didn't just do this. Um, last year, because this is my last year in school, I, I composed a list, and at the top it said Steve's hit list, um, which is not a good way, not a good document to have, but this was his list of, of people he had befriended um, in hopes of sharing the gospel, and he had three categories, uh, befriended, um, shared with, um, responded, and uh, baptized, right? Like, and, and he had like little check marks that he would do as he went through these things, and I thought that was the craziest and coolest thing that I've ever seen an individual do. It was, he took it as his responsibility to share faith individually with people who didn't know Jesus. Guys, we don't do that. You guys, you guys feel that? Like, that's a crazy story because it's like, oh, the second I say it, you probably in your head just went to a place and you probably just said this, I will, I will never do that. Why? The question is why? Why is that so, why are we so resilient to the idea of a one-on-one -on -one sharing of the gospel. We're not resilient to it if it's like a big room like this. But here's the crazy thing is, it's way more effective when it's coming from a place of relationship. Salvation happens because of a divine relationship. So it would make sense that our job is to go around making friends with people who don't know Jesus in order to share the gospel with them. And people, isn't that shallow, TJ? You know, you're just, you're just sharing the gospel. You're just starting to share the gospel with people just because you want. Is there a more important story? Is what we're doing here fake? Is heaven and hell at stake? If the answer to any of those questions is, yeah, this is fake, this is just what we do on Sunday nights, then yeah, that seems weird. But if we actually believe the gospel, then that seems like the absolute right approach. So I'm going to say something, guys. I want from you, I want from you to have the experience that Steve had. Now, I, I know some of you guys, I, you're like, I don't have a motorhome, okay? Um, and, and probably if you rolled up with your motorhome, you probably would, wouldn't get to just keep it there. You know, they're, they're probably on to you at this point in life. But you can absolutely make friends for the gospel, and you should make friends for the gospel. You want to light your relationship with God up? Share the gospel with someone and have them come to know Jesus one-on-one -on -one with you. That is the most divine moment you could possibly have as a human. 
But what is salvation? I asked Steve this. I said, Steve, when you share the gospel, what do you do? He goes, I just break down John 3.16 for him. And you guys, who here doesn't know John 3.16? Just one, one person back there. I see that hand. All right, I'm going to tell you John 3.16. You probably don't know what John 3, but when, as soon as I say it, you're probably going to go, oh, I know this one. You know, for God so loved the what? That he gave his only begotten what? That whoever should in him should have Yes, yes. Well, actually, I, I skipped a part. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. Now you know it. Now, you're, now you remember. This is what Tim Tebow was all about back then, right? The John 3.16 thing. Um, yes, so John 3.16. So I said, I said, what do you mean you break down? He goes, I just, I break it into three sections. And I start like this. God so loved the world. I'll think about that. Now, I, I think that some of us have heard that so much that we're inoculated to it. Do you guys know what inoculated means? Somebody tell me what inoculated means. Go ahead. I didn't hear you, but I, I will assume that you were right. Yes. Um, the, the, the right answer is that you, you do something so much that it has no effect on you anymore, right? When you actually are like getting allergy treatment, what they do is they give you a little bit of the thing that you're allergic to over and over and over again to inoculate you to this thing. But the problem is, is sometimes we get inoculated to good things. God loves you. If that doesn't feel like something awesome, then we're not doing this right. That perhaps you become inoculated to the most amazing information in the history of a planet. I'm going to say it again. God loves you. Before the universe began, he loved you. When he started the universe and said, everything was formless and void, and into the void he spoke, let there be light. Now, if we understand God on the way in which he proclaims himself to be understood, that he is all-powerful, that means that the second he opened his mouth to say, let there be light, he knew that the progression of that statement would end with you existing. And he chose it anyway. He knew you before there was a you, and when he started you, he started you before there was ever even a place for you to be at. That's how much he loves you. And after you started sinning, I don't, know, I don't know the first sin I did. My parents said I was a pretty bad kid from the start, right? I don't know when I started sinning, but I did. Every human ever has. It just sort of happens. If you haven't been around a two-year-old, you, you don't know this, but they, they do sin, and they sin a lot. Um, I started sinning. At that point, the God of the universe, who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, knew that I was a sinner, and he could have just as easily said, I'm out. Mistake. Moving on. Not doing this again. But the Bible teaches us that yet while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That means that God knew us before there was an us and knew us at our lowest. In the middle of our sin. Now I want you guys to think right now of your deepest, darkest sin. The sin that if, if, if it was put on public display, you would be humiliated. I want, to think, I want you to think of your darkest moment. I want you to think of the thing that you think of all the time when you think, can I be forgiven? Now I want to say something that's really powerful to that. God loves you. 
He loves you in your lowest moment. When you're in the middle of your deepest, darkest sin, he loves you. He loves that person. He, he doesn't love the sin. He had to die on the cross for the sin. So yeah, he hates that sin. That sin hung him on a cross. But he can separate it out. He separates you from it through the blood of Jesus. We're going to get into that more. But he loves you even in your most sinful spot. I'm sorry for yelling, guys. I know some, I woke some people up in here. He doesn't just love you now. He loves what you will become in eternity. Now think about that. Don't be inoculated by that statement. He loves what you will become in eternity. What we've done here is we've taught a whole generation of people that your life is about 60 to 100 years. And the best thing you can do is just hold on to that 60 to 100 years as hard as you possibly can. But the crazy thing about this is the Bible teaches that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. That means that before we had an idea of eternity, we knew that this thing shouldn't end. We knew it. Like, it was an instinctual thing. And here's the crazy thing is, when God thought you up, he thought of you as an eternal creature. That's crazy. Without an ending? Without death? Without the, the story being closed on us? That's what he thought of. And if we are to believe what God says about us, that we are eternal creatures, that eternity is for us, that means that 80 to 100 years is tiny. Now I want you to visualize something. Just visualize it, right? There's, there's a, a rope right up here, right? And that rope, I'm holding on to it right here. And the, the part I'm holding on to is this much, right? And that rope goes out those doors. It goes out the doors to outside. And then it wraps around the world over and over and over and over again. And the part that I'm holding on to right here, this part right here, is what your 80 to 100 years is. Now let me tell you something. If you have eternity, imagine what you are to become. God loves that. He loves the potential, and he knows it. Guys, do you think that we stop learning in heaven? There's a weird thing. Like, you get to heaven, and then, like, there's no great good thing, and there's no bad thing, and it's just this weird nirvana. That's, that's Eastern religion. God created us as learners, as growers, as things that will keep on becoming as we unlock the mystery of God, which means that when we enter into eternity after this world, when there's a new heaven and earth, you continue to learn and grow and become how crazy is that? And yet we hold on to 80 to 100 years and go, oh, my 80 to 100 years. I need it. God loves what you are to become in eternity. I'm going to say it again. God loves you. What did I tell you though? Steve broke down the whole thing of John 3.16. So what's the next part? For God so loved the world that what? That he gave, he gave his only son. Now, now, okay, so we lost something here, right? So God loves us. That he gave up his only son for us. Why would he need to give up for us? Why would he need to give up on our behalf? To save us from what? Ourselves? Sin. Now, here's it, here it is, guys. This is the, the piece that... We don't want to talk about, but everyone here knows it's true. We are broken. You're loved by God, but you're broken. You're not perfect. You're far from it. We, we soften it, right? We, we go around saying like, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. When do we mess up? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't go around saying, well, humans, they're not perfect. 
No, no, no. It says, we are desperately wicked. There is none righteous, not even one. That means that, that we are at our worst most days. Okay? And if we're honest with ourselves, now some of you guys might not like that when you hear it, but if we're honest with ourselves, that rings more true than believing that I am this god or goddess that just needs to be unlocked into my potential. The world teaches almost absolutely the other side of the gospel. (laughs) The things that, that people get really excited about are oftentimes the complete opposite of the gospel. And one of the things I see is how invested your generation is in you. Not, not, not you as a person, but, but strengthening the concept of you. If you could just love yourself, if you could just help yourself, if you could just inspire yourself. I, I hear people talk about this all the time, even in, even in churchy words. I just got to learn to forgive myself. Well, that's, that's nice, but, for, but sin has actual consequences. And so you forgiving yourself isn't nearly as important as you being forgiven. And you being forgiven not just by others, but by God. Now, if we understand this on the level that we all know it's true, is that I am broken and I am desperately in need of a Savior, that's where God can use us. But if we think of ourselves as a little less than God's, then we will never find salvation because we will never reach out for hope. That's what you got to understand. Because I've been in the faith for a lot of years. I've read the Bible probably six or seven times straight through. I know the Word of God pretty well. I've got a couple letters after my name that's supposed to be making me important in knowing the Word of God. And guess what? I'm still a sinner. I still desperately need Jesus. I still sin every single day. I still have sin that I would not want public. I still have things in my own heart, in the depths of who I am, that make me feel very, very low in comparison to other people. And here's the lie that I believe, that everyone else is better than me. No, everyone else is in the same boat as me. And if we could all just agree that we are sinners, then God could use us for divine things. It's not that we're just trying to strive for the best and the brightest. We have to understand that the best thing in us is not us. The best thing in us is Jesus Christ. And, and if you could lower yourself to the place where the Bible teaches, then God will build up in you. God will build up in you that eternal creature that you are bound to become. So we are sinners in need of a Savior that God gave His only Son. So let's talk about this. The Bible teaches it very clearly. That sin equals, does anybody know? Death. Sin equals death. It's the way it's set up. This is the way the world is set up. In fact, Newton discovered this. Every action has an opposite and equal what? Yes. So when you put out an action, there is an action that, that, that is begotten into the world. It has an opposite and equal reaction. 
When God set up the world, he said he set up a thing called gravity. Now you can deny gravity. You can say I don't believe in gravity. I'm I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a, a I'm not a person like you people who who are who low thinkers and I, I I believe that gravity is just a figment of my imagination. Now, you might really really believe that, but I'll take you to a fifth story building and we'll see how much you believe that gravity does not exist. Now, here's the thing is that that guys, you laugh about that. But you know what's way more powerful than gravity? The being who created it. And yet, we won't deny gravity, but we will deny him. We will deny that there is an ordered universe, that there is a lawgiver. When we see all these natural laws, we will deny that over and over and over again. It doesn't make sense. To be an atheist takes more faith than it does to actually believe that when we see order in our universe, that somebody did that on purpose. If you were to walk up to a watch, you guys see this watch that I'm wearing. It's a really cool watch. Um, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's like digital. It's connected to satellites. It tells me my oxygen level. It's an it's a, it's a endurance athlete watch, and it costs way more than I could afford, but I had a friend who bought it for me, which is really, really cool. Now, if you were to come upon this watch on the beach, and you were to look at it, and you saw it like next to a bunch of sand, you wouldn't go, Wow! Look what the universe created over billions and billions and billions of years. You would say that's an ordered thing. And ordered things are created on purpose with intention. Oh. So when we see order, there's somebody who gave that order. And that is what sin is inside of life and death. When we sinned, the way in which we were created, the order in which we were created is to not sin. And God said, it's when, you, when you sin, that will be the day that death comes into humanity. And it was. When Adam and Eve sinned, death entered into humanity. Now, did they die that day? No. But they did die. All of a sudden, their days became numbered. So sin equals death. The payment for sin is death. But what if somebody paid that for you? Then maybe you wouldn't have to experience the outcome of death yourself. Okay, see where I'm going with this? Well, it would take somebody pretty special. It would take somebody who's perfect. Who, who hasn't sinned because the only thing they could sin for, if you, if, you, if you were to pay the consequence of somebody else's sin, you would have to not owe death yourself. There would have to be no death owed by you. Well, lucky for us, there is one human who was perfect, who did not owe death to anyone, but came and gave death willingly. Why would he give death willingly? Let's start over again. For God... There it is. So he loved us. That's why. He loved us, so he offered death on our behalf. He gave us our only sin. That's crazy. So let's finish it here. Whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. You guys don't say that in your everyday life, do you? Some of you guys say that? When you're like, uh, when you're like playing Minecraft, it's like, all oh, of my items have perished. <laughs> you don't say it like that? Some of you guys say that? Well, now you will. Now you're going to go home and say that. But the idea of perish is death. It's separation. Should not be separated eternally. 
but live on in eternal life. Now, we've got to start right at the beginning there. Whoever believes in him. Now, let's talk about what belief means. Tell me, somebody here, when you hear the word belief, what do you understand about it? What does belief mean to you? Go ahead. I like that. I like that. Um, and I, I, like, I like that you took it to the level of this is what belief in God is to me. But let's just, let's just break it. Let's get a little sim- more, even more simple. What does the word belief mean? Yes, something that an individual holds as true. That's great. That's great. Go ahead. That's right. Now, here's the thing is, guys. Um, let me, here it is, here it is, here it is. <laughs> All right. So there's this chair back here. Guys, let me tell you about this chair. It is the most fantastic chair. It is a very powerful chair. It is a strong chair. It's a strong chair to sit on. It holds up body weight. In fact, this thing has been known to hold up the weight of of giants, 450-pound giants. This chair right here has the ability to give you rest when you sit in it. And it's a great chair. In fact, the great thing about this chair is it's so good that that sometimes when I think about this chair, I just think it's praises for how good it is at being a chair. And I know, absolutely beyond, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if I were to sit in this chair, it would hold my weight. I absolutely know that. I know that to be true. Cool story, right? Well, let's put, let, let's put, let, let's put the chair away then, because, I mean, like, it's, it would definitely support my weight. Is that what belief is? Because I think in our world, belief is a lot of talk. I think a lot of us spend a lot of time talking up a belief in God. But if I really believe that a chair could support my weight, what would I do with it? I would absolutely, now I hope this thing folds now, but, but I would absolutely sit in the chair because I have a belief, because I know the chair exists, because it's here, and it, it's not made up, it's not in that. Here's the thing is, those of us who know Jesus, when people tell us, they ask us, they go, what, it, what, what would happen if you ended your life and, uh, and it, just, it was all fake and you, you didn't really know Jesus? And it was just, there's nothing. Those of us who really know Jesus that would, that's a foreign concept to us. Because for us, knowing Jesus is like knowing our parents. It's like knowing our spouse. It's like knowing our children. So if you, if you were to say to me, hey, I know you really love Max, who's your firstborn, but guess what? Max doesn't exist. Now, in a weird way, you're like, yeah, this whole thing happens. I would look at you, and I would, I would look at you cross-eyed, and I would say this. I would say, you're crazy because I know Max. I talk to him. He has influence in my life. He has effect in my life. It changes when I do this. Those of us who believe in Jesus, when the Bible talks about belief, it's fully trusting in him. It's knowing him. It's having a personal relationship with him. 
Now, are you a talker? Or are you a walker? Are you somebody who would, who would be willing to not just sing His praises, but trust Him when things go wrong? Trust Him when things go right. Talk to Him on the good days and the bad days, not because, you know, you need Him on those two days independently, but because He's there and He's real and He wants to talk to you. Are you willing to do that? Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Belief leads us to action. Now let me ask you a question. How real is your faith in God? How real is it? Does it leave you when you leave church? That's the type of faith that, that, that would be hard for me to, to look at and be like, that's, that's good, that's a great faith. I don't like to judge anybody's faith. But if you think that going to church and, and, and singing some worship songs and having an emotional experience one time in your life has saved you, and you have not, and you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, and you fall into the category that the Bible talks about. There's, there's, there's people who on the judgment day of Christ, that, that's that day when you die and then you go and see Jesus. Now here's the thing is, the Bible tells us no matter what, everyone here, no matter what, even if you didn't know Jesus, you will meet him. Why do we know that? Because every knee will bow, right? So we all have this moment where we stand before Jesus, and there's this thing in the Bible which is really peculiar, especially when we're talking about these things is that there, the, Jesus says, there's people who will come to me and say, Lord, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all sorts of miracles with you? And he will look at him, them and he will say this, depart from me, for I never knew you. Now, if that doesn't hit deep, then maybe you've been inoculated to the gospel. Because that's the type of words that scare even me. Do you understand that? Those aren't TJ's words. That's God's words. I want you to have such a remarkable relationship with God that you know him. That when someone looks at you and says they don't exist, you, you're like, no, I know him. I know he exists. And I need that relationship with you. I don't need it. God wants that relationship with you to change everything about you. It should change everything about you. It should change all of your relationships. It should change how you order your life. Because again, if this stuff is true, it is all that matters. Okay? All the other things that we do in life do not matter. This is the story. And do you guys, do you guys realize how powerful this gospel story is? We can't. And here's the thing. is, like I told you before. You notice that there's a lot of opposite, you know, the, 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 all the things that go popular and viral are sort of the opposite of the gospel. The crazy thing about that is the best stories, the best stories are just rip-offs rip, rip of the gospel. Now, now think about this. Think about your favorite movie. If your favorite movie is a, it, it, it follows what, what everyone's been doing for years and years and years, there's a central figure. That figure is a good figure. And that figure is heroic. And eventually that figure will be asked to give himself up or herself up for the rescuing of everybody else. 
And everyone goes, oh my gosh, that's my story. How did he know? How do they know that I like uh, the, the, uh, the Avengers movies? How do they know that I like Matrix? How do they know? Because it's all the same story. There's something built into us that we know that the gospel is true. And so we like it when it's Iron Man, but when it's Jesus, we're inoculated to it. Iron Man is a ripoff of Jesus. It is. It is absolutely is. Now, if this story is real, then it's a story that needs to be proclaimed not just by pastors, not just by youth pastors, and not just by super religious Jesus freaks. It's a story that needs to be proclaimed in all of your relationships. So here's your challenge. The Word of God only works as if, if we make it walk. If you're convicted by the words that I said tonight, those are not my words, those are God's words. And what you do with that matters. So you need to come up with your own list of people that you need to share the gospel with. That's what you need to do with this. Not bring them to church. Okay, I love when you guys bring them to youth group. Great, fantastic, bring them here. Let's blow out this crowd. Let's make it the, the biggest crowd ever. We could have the biggest crowd here and God could not even be moving in this place because numbers don't matter in eternity. I want from you, not you just to say, okay, I'm bringing them to church. I love when you bring them to church. That's great, that's a good thing. But if this is real, then you can't just count on you getting them to church. You got to go on this rescue mission with God. And you've got to sit down with your friends and you've got to share John 3:16 and you got to break it down for them. Go through it, tell them why God loves them. Tell them why God needed to die for them, why God needed to send his son for them. And then tell them about who they could become in eternity. And then ask them to pray with you and see what they say. Now that if you do that, that is courage. That isn't, just, that isn't just like crazy. That isn't just like Jesus freak thing. That is kingdom courage. And what we talked about last week, how there's this battle going on right now, Satan absolutely doesn't want those relationship things to happen. He doesn't. Because if you have enough courage to sit down with your friends who don't know Jesus and individually love them into the kingdom, then that's the type of thing that makes a dent in all of the eternity, in all of the kingdom, in this life and the next, in the spiritual realm and in this realm as well. And if you can do that, then all of this matters. So my challenge again is come up with a list Sit down, take people through John 3, 16, and see the miracles that happen right before you. And one more thing. If you're not signed up for discipleship group, but you know Jesus, you need to sign up this week for discipleship. It's going to be on Wednesday nights, and we are going to have a special focus this year on individual evangelism, which is the personal side of just sitting down with your friends and sharing the gospel with them. And if we can do that... Revival will be remarkable. It will change everything. But it takes you guys being courageous and believing in this salvation talk. 
How do you sign up for discipleship? Your, your small group leaders will help you out with that. We talked about that in our pre-meeting. If they don't know, um, come talk to me again. But there is uh, pieces of paper in the back right there. Big Mike's got a piece of paper. Go get that. It has a QR code on it. You scan that. It'll take you to where you sign up, okay? We need you to sign up right now. Here's the other thing is, last year we had 25 students in discipleship. We had our most fruitful year ever. Everything ripples out of how many students we get into discipleship. That's, that's, that's the debt we make for the kingdom this year. If you guys get into discipleship, then, then that's when what we can do. So sign up for discipleship. Right now, we only have 10, 10 students signed up for discipleship. So we need to get as many people signed up for discipleship as we possibly can. If we can get 30 or 35 or 40 in that group, then the work that we did last year will look tiny compared to the work that we can do this year. All right? So make sure you signed up for it. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, if you, if you were in it last year, you don't assume that you're in it this year. Every year you have to re-up it and you have to be accepted to it. Okay, go ahead. It, it's, it's only eighth graders and above. Right now, I know that's sad, but we want to do that for a reason. And we're trying to work out a sixth and seventh grade discipleship program, but we're not there yet. But we will work that out eventually. All right? All right, let's pray. And uh, yeah. God, I thank you so much for the salvations that are going to happen in this place. But more than that, God, I thank you for the salvations that might happen in a motorhome in a high school parking lot, <laughs> um, at, a, at a lunchroom table, um, over coffee at Starbucks, in a car while driving and talking. I thank you for the relationships that you have in this room. If we have 110, 120 students here tonight, that means that each one of them has a system of five good friends. And if they have five good friends, then that means the kingdom impact that could happen this week is 600 people. God, I pray for that number. I pray for 600 people hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a relational manner. And I pray for courage. For those who are hearing this word and they're impacted by it and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and nudging them and saying, do it, just do it, just do it. I pray that they would have the courage to sit down and share the gospel with those who need to hear it. And God, I pray that you'd build stories upon stories upon stories of people who come to our youth group and join discipleship, not because they came to a church camp, but because somebody sat down with them for coffee. I love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.